My name is Michael White. And I'm Alex White. I'm a photographer in the Houston area. And I work at the Port Terminal Railroad at the Port of Houston. We've been married five years. We have um, Catherine, a five-year-old, Charlotte, a three-year-old, and Caroline, a two-year-old. 2017 has been very eventful. We started the year off on a rough patch. Every time we were in the middle of a storm, we would pray and like immediately we felt God. And knowing that you don't do life alone brings so much peace into the house. Near the end of January, Catherine became sick. Uh, at first, we thought it was just a stomach bug, but once we got her to the doctor, he was pretty quickly he was able to determine that it was appendicitis. She had emergency surgery that afternoon, and that night she wasn't recovering well. The doctor came in and started taking a look at her and... Basically diagnosed her with a rare disease called HUS. And it's really fast, so by that point, um, usually people don't make it. You know, the moment you hear life threatening with your kid, she's not gonna make it. I just, like, my mind just, everything was foggy. You know, it's like everything in your life gets turned upside down at that point. Took her, rushed her down to ICU, and it was scary because at that point, we didn't know if she was even gonna make it downstairs. And so they started working on her, and um, as the doctors were surrounding us, we just started praying. Um, and that's when I felt God come in. Like, I feel like after that, he was in the room with us. And at that point, we even thought, like, whatever the outcome is, it's going to be okay, you know? They said that if she was even had a chance of fully recovering, that it would at least be a year or two. Um, and they said that it may be five years, it could be the rest of her life. So once we got back home, we're getting back to the gist of normal life, um, medical bills start coming in. All the bills we hadn't paid because we were at the hospital started piling up. We would stay up till one or two in the morning trying to work the other business. And we weren't making time for the children. We weren't, honestly, we weren't even making time for the house. By April, it had completely, the bottom fell out of the business. We lost everything. We lost um we lost a lot of money. We lost all of our savings. Our marriage, like it, it almost like tore us apart. The financial stress started putting a distance in between my wife and I, and then and and ultimately God and I. I think Mike. Um, I don't think he felt resentment, but there was some there. Just like with how did you let this happen, God? Like don't you see? You know. And with me too, I just couldn't believe that something I had worked so hard to make something happen for our family and everything. Just we lost everything. You you have all these worries and um, stresses, and you, you try to give them over, but that distance um, just become became greater and greater. And mentally and spiritually, I was done, and so was he. In the middle of all the chaos, we were also looking for a church, you know, a children's ministry and a women's group and that was filled with God. And we, a friend of us invited us to go to Faith Bridge, and we went and instantly found everything we had been praying for and more in Faith Bridge. Just seeing how loved our kids are, just seeing how loved we are, um, and people don't know us. And they don't know our story. They don't even know that probably we're having financial issues unless you're in the prayer team, and I'm sure you've seen that card every week. It, it blew me away because I felt loved by Christ in that time. 
And so it started changing everything. I started attending the women's Bible study and I started learning, you know, like the fear that your kids are not gonna be there. Um, the gift that they are from God, like that I thought they were mine and I created them. All that went away and God was now in the driver's seat, I felt like, because of the truths that were being preached and that were being seen. The biggest turnaround for Alex and I and for me feeling plugged back in was honestly opening up with Alex and talking to her and telling her how I was feeling instead of hiding you know, my feelings about how things have been going. I mean, my struggle with my faith is really what put me at a distance with her. Opening up to her was kind of like the back channel to come back up. Like, I feel like I'm with him again and the feeling of like, that we had in the, the ICU of him and I like freaking out and then we prayed and God was there, all came back. And so I feel like just knowing like there's like hoping, waiting, and hoping like the peace that you find afterwards and the answered prayers that were beyond anything you could experience. October of this year, we went back to the doctor and um, they told us Catherine was perfect, like that she no longer needed any, you know, we didn't need to monitor her every day. She didn't need the medicine. Um, and so we know it's all through God that that happens. He's our provider, like he gives us peace, like he carries us through. He's our dad and he's got our back. Like we're so covered, it's gonna be okay. Isn't that a great story of God's work in one family's life? Let's say praise the Lord for that. And that actually is a really good tie-in for where we're going in January. We're going to do a series that we're calling Calm the Home Down. Because all of us not having exactly this family's problems and stresses, but all of us have our stresses, right? And our anxieties and the feels like the walls are closing in. And we just feel like we need to spend a month going back to God's word and looking at what could we do spiritually to calm the home down. So I hope that you'll be back uh, for that. But for today, Merry Christmas. Glad that you are here at Faithbridge. Welcome home. So, um, so glad that you've come. Um, well, so I guess it was about a week ago, in the midst of all the Christmas goings on and decorating and such, I found myself on the driveway talking with one of my neighbors, and <clears throat> whom I'll call Ricky. And Ricky and I uh, were talking about this and that, and he piqued my curiosity, though, with something he said. At which point I said, well, Ricky, so that makes me wonder, what do you believe about spiritual things? He said, oh, I'll tell you what I believe. He said, I believe that somewhere out there is, is a great God. There's a, there's a God. And that someday we're going to all have to stand in front of that God one by one and give an account for our lives. And those of us who have done a lot of good things, we're going to move to the front of the line and we're going to get to get into the good place. And those of us who have not done so many good things, we're gonna to move to the back of the line and we're not gonna get into the good place. I said, wow, that's, that's really interesting. So, but Ricky, if that's the way it works, then how good is good enough 
to get in and how bad is bad enough because I need to know where that line is. He said, that's just it, Ken. Nobody knows. It's like, wow, it sounds really complicated the way that you're looking at it. I got thinking from there about another guy. His name is John, who said it's not that complicated. It's really not. John now, he's not one of my neighbors. John actually lived 2,000 years or so ago. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. In fact, historians tell us that John was the closest friend of Jesus, that the two of them just had an extra special bond those years that Jesus was here on earth. And John really wanted to make sure that we didn't go through life thinking it's just so complicated, this whole thing about God and all of this. He really wanted to make it so clear to us, so he even wrote it all down for us in a book that we call John. And he's not the only guy who wrote the stories about Jesus and their accounts of him. Uh, For example, another guy named Luke and another named Matthew. In fact, we heard from one of those accounts just a moment ago from uh, the children who were reading to us. Those guys covered the shepherds and the wise men and the manger and the angels and all that stuff. John's like, eh, you already know all that stuff. I just want to get to the point because I want to make sure it's not complicated for you. I want to make it simple for you to understand. Now, one more thing. Before I read to you the verse, it's just one verse, one sentence that's this power-packed sentence that tells you everything you need to know about God at Christmas. But before I read you that sentence, you have to understand one more thing. The people back then were not too different than a lot of people today. They too were very confused about God and it seemed very complicated. And so they, they thought of God as this distant, far off, abstract concept. And they had a word for this God up there. Many of them referred to that God as the word. I don't know, I've wondered in my, if my mind, in my mind if, if maybe then therefore they just would sometimes pray, dear word up there somewhere far off distant don't know exactly who you are bless mommy and bless daddy and thank you for our food and I don't know but John says no it's not that complicated let me make it very very simple for you he gives us this sentence it's verse 14 in chapter one here's what it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And so what John is saying, don't you see, is he's saying, no, see, you you don't have to think of him as so far off and distant and confusing and abstract and, and far away. No, no, no. The word became flesh. When we couldn't understand him, when we couldn't get to him, he got to us. He came to us. He put on the flesh and blood of a human body and he came and made his home among us. It's really that simple, John was saying. I don't want you to miss that the word became flesh. Maybe this story can help. I remember hearing it when I was a child. It's a story of a man who he wasn't a believer in God and Jesus and the Bible and church and all that kind of stuff. But his wife was and their children were. And so on Christmas Eve, he said to his wife, I'm not gonna be going to the Christmas Eve service with you all. 
She said, all right. He said, but I will wait up for you until you all get home. So out they went into the snow across the village to the other side where the chapel was to attend the Christmas Eve services. And he got settled into his chair and he took up a book right next to the fireplace feeling comfy and cozy and he began to read. As the snow flurries got bigger and bigger outside, he heard a thud that hit his window and then another and another and another. He's like, somebody is throwing snowballs at our window. And he got up and he opened the door and he realized it was not snowballs that somebody was throwing at them, but rather that birds had collided with the window because they'd been lost in the snowstorm and they'd seen the warmth of the light shining through the living room window and they had headed towards that for safety and for security, not realizing there was glass separating and then he smacked into the window and fell to the ground and he saw them there at his door. Well, he had pity on them and he, and he, and he thought, what can I do to help these, these freezing birds? So he put on his galoshes and his coat and he traipsed out through the snow and he got out to the barn and he opened up the doors of the barn and he turned on the lights in the barn and he said, here you go, birds. This will be a safe place. You can call home. Why don't you come in here and make yourself at home? But the birds didn't come. They just stayed right there. And so he thought, maybe food. So he went back and he got a bowl full of breadcrumbs and he made a little breadcrumb trail straight from the door of the front door all the way out to the doors of the barn. And, and he said, now follow the breadcrumb trail. Birds, come on. This will be home for you and you'll be safe and warm in here. But again, they didn't come. So finally he thought, well, I'll just pick them up and I'll just move them myself. And even as he was reaching for them, they scampered off and flapped their wings. And of course they were afraid of him because he was big and huge and scary. And it was at that point he thought to himself, gosh, if only I could speak your language, then you could understand me. And no, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. But for that to happen, it occurred to him. I would have to become one of you. I'd actually have to become a bird for you to recognize me and for you to listen to me and to trust me and to follow me as I led you home. Just then the bells from the chapel where his family was attending Christmas Eve services began to chime and it dawned on him, God, the word became flesh. And he realized that's what Christmas is about. That our God became one of us so that we wouldn't have to be confused and afraid, but so that we could recognize him and hear him and listen to him, understand him and trust him and follow him. The word became flesh. Now I know at this point, sometimes people say, okay, well, John, you say the word became flesh, that God became a man. But how do you know that that man, Jesus, was really God? I mean, I know you were very best friends and so, but, but maybe you, you know, you're, you're, you're shooting a little far to say he was God. Well, if that's the case, listen to what John would say. John would say, well, let me ask you, can your best friend walk on water? Yeah, I didn't think so. Not only could Jesus walk on water, he could speak to the weather. One time we were out in this storm and the waves were everywhere and the wind was blowing and we were afraid we were gonna drown in the boat that we were in. And he stood there and he looked at it and he said, peace, be still. And the waves and the wind, they all just settled down. 
And we wondered, who is this guy that even the weather pays attention to Jesus? And not only that, John would say, yeah, and I remember more times than I can even number, he stepped up to somebody who was blind or somebody who was paralyzed, who couldn't walk, who had all sorts of special needs, and he would put his hand right on them. And instantly, they would be healed. Oh, I'm telling you, we beheld his glory. That's how I know he was God. But then one day, they killed him. I know because I was standing there. I was standing next to his mother, Mary, and I watched him die on that cross. And that day was a confusing day. It was confusing for me. It was confusing for all the disciples because we knew God doesn't die. So he must not have been God. But how did he do all those things that he did that we saw with our own eyes. We really were a little confused. <laughs> but then on the third day, we went to the tomb. And when we got to the tomb, he'd risen. He'd even conquered death. And we talked to him and touched him. And it was at that point I said, I'll never question again you really are God because nobody else can conquer death and come back to life three days later except God himself. So John is saying, this is how come I'm telling you the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. That's what Christmas is about. But that doesn't answer the question, well, then why did he come? It only tells you what, but why did he come? Well, John even tells us in this same verse why he came. Did you see the last few words in that verse 14? It says he came full of grace and full of truth. Two things, two reasons he came. The first one, let's take, is truth. You know, truth is very important for life to work right. If your car or your bicycle is broken, and you need a new tire or you need a new engine or something, you don't want to go to a mechanic and have the mechanic say to you, I don't see any problem. I think you're good to go. Because you're like, no, I know it's broken. I know the truth. I need it to get fixed. The truth is very important for life to work right. I remember the day that I got the truth that I really needed, though I didn't really want. It was that day nearly three years ago when through, I don't know, 10 or 12 things that unfolded that God planned that I could never have planned in my wildest imaginings, but I found myself in a cardiologist, a heart doctor's office. And I remember he said to me, sit down, Mr. Werlein, I, I have to tell you something. I said, okay. He looked at me with all the concern and earnestness in the world, and he said, Mr. Werlein, I am so sorry to have to tell you this but you have very bad damage inside of you. Your body is actively trying to go into coronary arrest right now. You are going to have a massive heart attack and it's going to happen in the next several hours. You can imagine at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? But I had to know the truth. 
I had to know the truth and all the good things that he would do for me in the minutes and hours that followed. Otherwise, I would have died that night. The truth is very important. So let's come back to Jesus. Why did he come? Because you and I need to know the truth, spiritually speaking, about ourselves. Do you know what the truth is? The truth is that all of us are separated from God. We're all separated from God. It's not fun to hear, but you gotta know it is the truth. Why are we separated? Because the Bible tells us all of us have sinned and sin separates us from God who is perfect and holy. And that's a problem because sin can never come into his presence. Now, when I say you've sinned and I've sinned, sometimes people, they take offense at that. They're like, well, I'm sin. I mean, she's sin and he's sin, but I'm not so bad. Well, let me just ask you a couple of questions here. Have you ever lied to your mom? Have you ever been disrespectful to your dad? You ever been rude to somebody? Maybe um, dishonest at work or deceitful or mean to a friend or to a teacher? Have you ever looked at something on your iPad or iPhone or computer that you know that you shouldn't have looked at. See, that proves you've got the problem too. All of us, the Bible says, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. And that's the bad news. If that's where the story ended, it'd be a terrible story. There wouldn't be any reason for us to say Merry Christmas. We would say dreadful Christmas. We don't like this. But he didn't come just to bring us the truth. He came also, what did it say? Full of grace. You know what grace is? Grace is when you get more and better than you ever deserved. Like when you should have gotten punished, but instead you get forgiven. That's grace. He came because we needed to know the truth that we're all infected with sin. All of us have been tarnished by sin. But he didn't come to leave us there. He said, no, the reason that I've come also is not just to tell you that, but to offer you this. I'm gonna give you grace. And it's for that reason that Jesus grew up, grew up from that manger and became a man. And all the way through, he lived the perfect life, sinless, that you and I couldn't live. And then he died the death that you and I deserved, a death of punishment. He took the hit for your sins and for mine. He went to the cross and he died. And then on the third day, he rose. And in rising signifies to all of us that we too shall rise if we have linked ourselves to him by faith. Then we too will have life. Everlasting then and abundant now. So the reason he came, you see, is to make a trade to give you grace in return for your sin. He says, in essence, I want you to transfer onto me all of your sins and by trust accept and receive all of my grace and all of my forgiveness. And I'll make you white as snow. Is that fair? Only because he was fit to be your substitute. That's why we are merry at Christmas, that a savior came 
to give us more and better than we ever deserved. But the question is, have you said yes? Have you said yes to him? Because it's not enough just to know this is what happened. You have to decide that you're going to say, I want that. I want to receive that gift of grace and of forgiveness that you came to offer me, Jesus. I want to say yes. It reminds me of something that happened during the floods of Harvey. Any number of you were here that day bringing blankets and clothing and all of those things, and I thank you so much for how you served. And many victims started showing up within the first hour that morning that we opened. And some of you are victims, and I just want to say how grateful that I am that you are here, and I've been so humbled by the ways that that we've been able to work alongside you and try to bring some blessings to you along the way in your rebuilding. I'm glad that you're here today. But on that morning, I was walking through the atrium, and I remember talking with a man. His name was Jeff, and uh, Jeff was unusually cheerful for a victim, and I would say he was probably in his 60s, very energetic. He said, I want to tell you what happened. I said, okay. He said, so my wife and I, We've lived in this area 35 years. We've never seen a flood like this. I said, I don't think we've ever had one. He said, we woke up this morning and I looked and there was water coming into our house and it was coming fast. And it was up to the first stair and then it was up to the second stair and it's starting to go up. And at this point, I said to my wife, we're in trouble. We got to get out of here but we're not spring chickens. We may have waited too long. How are we going to get out of here? He said, right then, I looked down at the end of my street. Our street had become a river. He said, and I saw a boat way off. And this man was coming in the boat. And he was coming, coming, getting closer, getting closer, right up to our house. He said, I felt like it was Jesus in the boat who was coming to get me and he pulled up right next to, to our house. And he said, let's get you in and let's get you out of here. And that man helped my wife into the boat and then he helped me into the boat and then he turned the boat and he drove us away from our flood-ravaged home to dry land. He said, and that, Pastor, is how I ended up at your church today. It's like, wow, that is a story. I said, where did the man come from? He said, that's the thing. He said, I asked him. He said, me? He said, I, I'm just from Tyler, 200 miles away. But last night I was just watching the news and I felt like I got to hitch my boat up and get down there to Houston to help these people. Jeff said to me, he said, Pastor, I really believe that God knew my wife and I were going to need help. And I believe God told that man, you need to go and take your boat because he knew we were going to need rescuing. Even when I heard that story, I thought, that reminds me of an even grander story. The story which is all of us, that all of us are drowning in our own sins. We're all laboring in our own hopelessness. But God didn't forsake us. He didn't give up on us. He didn't say, ah, oh, fooey on you people. I'm going to go start over with some other people on another planet. He said, no, I'm going to come into your world 
I'm going to become one of you, and I'm going to make a way for you to come home because I want you home with me. So the question is, have you said yes? You've got to get in to the boat, and you've got to sit down. There's not really any way that you can help all this to happen. Unlike my neighbor friend who, who's convinced, I got, I got to work harder and try harder. Maybe I'll find myself getting to the front of the line. Jesus says, nope. There's only one person who ever got to the front of that line. Jesus says, and I am that person. Nobody else gets to the front of that line. But plenty of other people will go in because they've linked themselves to me because I am the resurrection and I am the life. So put your trust in me. Give your life over to me, Jesus says. So in just a minute, we're gonna pray and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say yes, to say yes to him. And my hope is that once we're done with that prayer and we begin to sing Silent Night, light our candles and all, my hope is that you won't just have a little spark in your hand on the end of a candle. But then when you leave here today, you'll really have the spark, the flame of Jesus inside of you. Because that's why he came, to give you life and to bring you home with him. So say yes. Say yes. Do it right now. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for the hope that you offer. In our world that is crumbling around us, we need a savior and you were so good to not give up on us, to not leave us wondering what is God and who is God and how could we ever hope to connect with God. You made it so simple. Thank you for John who took the time to write all about what you had taught him those years you were here on earth, Jesus, so that we could understand the what and the why of Christmas. Thanks, God, for each person who's here. I don't think a one of them is here by accident. I'm grateful, Lord, that each person is here. Now, Lord, my prayer is that you would call every single one of us home right now. In the quietness of this moment, I just invite you to pray. Even as I'm praying aloud, you can just pray silently, Lord Jesus, I want to invite you to come into my heart because I need a savior. I want you to come in and forgive me of my sins. I want to transfer all of my sins onto you, sort of like a sponge, Jesus, and I want to receive from you grace and forgiveness. Won't you come in now? And then teach me in the days and months and years to follow how to be your disciple, how to follow after you and live with the joy and the hope and the life and the love that you came to bring pulsating inside my heart. We pray all of these things in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen.